right, welcome back everybody. Another Friday, another episode of Friends with Employee Benefits. And today we are joined by Jason Lauritsen. He's an employee engagement expert and keynote speaker. Actually, uh, it's, a, it's a long list of things that, uh, that Jason's got on his plate and uh, we'll get into that in a bit. But Jason, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be here, Jeff. So as I mentioned, uh, boy, you've got your hands in a lot of stuff. Uh, and so, you know, let's start with you just kind of telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got uh, where you are today. Well, I spend, let's see, I'll start with, I guess, today. And then the, the more interesting question is how I got into this work, I guess. But I spend most of my time today sort of doing something in the, in the realm of either writing about, speaking about, or training uh, people to create a better experience for employees at work. So that's managers and HR and a variety of others. I have a real passion around, you know, making work work better for employees or, you know, that, that's on my, on my days when I'm full of aspiration on my, on the more skeptical days, I'm, I'm making work suck less for people. So you take whichever end of the spectrum you want, which kind of leads into how I got into this work. Uh, it started early on in, in my career in that I found my way into some jobs where I worked for some really bad managers and worked in some companies that were pretty terrible to work for in a lot of ways. And as a, as a young professional coming up out of school and kind of getting into the working world, it, it was one of those, I kept having this, this idea that like, it can't be this, this can't be how it's supposed to work. Like this is, some of this is so ridiculous and so weird and so uncomfortable that it, there has to be a better way. And, and then while that was happening, I also had gotten, found my way into recruiting, into executive recruiting and, and through recruiting as a third party recruiter, you get to peek inside of a lot of organizations and as I was peeking inside these organizations, you know, talking to hiring managers about what they were looking for and why the person before them left and, you know, getting into that, I started to realize like it wasn't just that work sucked for me, like th there was dysfunction like everywhere, everywhere I looked, it, it was really broken. And so eventually I found my way into corporate HR because I thought maybe that would be a place to, to put my hands in and try to fix it. And the deeper I got into it, the more I loved this work. And I realized that you can, you can make work work for people. It can be a fulfilling, energizing, um, redeeming experience for people. And so I committed my life's work to trying to make that happen for everybody. Thank you for that. I, I think uh, we, we can all use that. It's, uh, it brings to mind, I think there was a, a movie called Bad Bosses, right? You, you mentioned bad managers. You, you ran into early into your career bad managers. And I don't know, what, what does that mean? What's, what, maybe it's helpful sort of to define what's a bad manager before we go any further. I think there's a lot of versions of bad managers. I mean, there's, there's bad managers that you know, don't really understand or think about, you know, they lack, they lack empathy or concern about other human beings. And so they're just trying to, to make a number, trying to maximize their bonus, trying to do whatever really at the expense of the people around them. There are bad managers who are good people that just don't know any better, which I think is the majority of bad managers. They 
are a product of a system of bad management. It's kind of like, I like to think of management a lot like parenting in that, you know, if you, if you grew up in a family where your parents weren't, didn't do a lot of the right things or, or didn't model the right behavior for you, um, when you grow up and you become a parent, unless you interrupt that cycle, the only exposure or knowledge of parenting you have is the experience you came through. And even though you said you're never going to do that, you fall right back into the pattern. You fall into the dysfunction if you're not careful. And management's the same way. Many of us, um, you know, management training hasn't been particularly effective if an organization's even doing it. And so often you end up as a manager, you end up in a management role and you, nobody ever sort of showed you how to do it. And so you just emulate what you've seen before. And if you've had primarily managers who weren't well-equipped, who weren't, you know, didn't know how to really maximize performance for other people, how to create a good experience, you end up just falling back into bad habits. And so it just, the cycle repeats over and over again, which is why we get a lot of, I think, well-intentioned people, good people, just don't know any better. A lot of times they don't even realize they're, they're doing damage to the people they're leading until you find a way to help them see it and find a different way forward. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, really big difference between leading and managing too. It's almost like these days that, you know, manager has for me anyway, this almost kind of negative uh, connotation. And there are some companies that are literally getting away from that title or terminology, but I, I don't want to get it kind of stuck on that other than to say it might segue into, because I think if, if you're leading properly, ultimately you're, you're driving employee engagement. And I know, so that, word or those words employee engagement it, they're thrown around quite a bit these days and especially in this current environment uh hr professionals and employers are really trying to hone in on this and and make sure that um their remote and essential employees stay engaged so there's a there's a challenge always a challenge with engagement but it seems uh, harder than than ever when so many people are working from home and not being able to get into the office and be around one another. So I, I don't know, let's step back though and, and talk about this, this word or these words, employee engagement. And Jason ask, let me ask, what, what does that mean to you? What does employee engagement really mean? And that's one of my favorite questions. So thank you for asking that because in the work that I do, you know, I commit my, my career to this idea or this work of employee engagement and yet, I, on the good side, everybody seems to have come to an awareness. And I say everybody in terms of like organizational leaders in HR, we all will universally agree and nod our head when we say, yeah, engagement's important. I'm like everybody, yeah, engagement's important. Well, what is it? And you'll get, if you've got 20 people in the room, you get 20 different definitions. And that's problematic. So thank you for asking this question. The way that I define engagement or the way that I think about it is that engagement is the degree to which an employee is willing and able to perform up to their potential. So let me, let me do that again. Engagement is the degree to which an employee is willing, meaning, you know, they, they want to, they're willingly giving you this, they're willing to, and this is actually the part of engagement we usually focus on is, you know, the heart's, and minds kind of side of it. Do they, are they motivated? Are they getting the things they need to, to want to perform? They're willing and able. 
the ability has a lot to do with things like not only do I have the tools and the resources and the training I need, but able is also well-being, right? Is my, how, how am I? Am I whole as a human? Am I able to give you my best? Because only when I'm well, am I able to give you my best. Willing and able to perform up to my potential. So it is all about my performance and my ability to perform at the level that I am capable of. And so that's really the work foundationally uh, of engagement through my lens. So somebody is engaged then by that de definition, if, if, they're, if they are both willing and able to do their best work, essentially to, to, to work, to fill to, to their potential. That's, that's a, how you would say someone is engaged. Yep. Well, for, for the employers and HR leaders that are tuning into this episode, what's the biggest issue you see around employee engagement? If I boil it down to one word, the, the biggest, I don't know if it's issue or challenge or threat, however you want to categorize it, is uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, for years, you know, I've, I've talked, when you, you know, my work goes back through, I, I spent some years studying best places to work and working in the, in the domain of employee engagement surveys and measuring employee engagement. And one of the things that's central, we know about engagement is an engagement always, one of the things that always shows up in an employee engagement survey is that almost universally, you will always have some kind of, of result that says you're not communicating enough. And if you boil down that, that take that, that result and you break it apart, what that means in the context of engagement is that is that the communication for purposes of engagement is about reducing uncertainty and creating greater clarity for the employee. That's, that is the, the function of communication and engagement. And so think about things like, am I clear about what's expected of me? Am I clear on how I'm doing in my job? Am I clear about what my manager thinks about me? Am I clear about where my boundaries are? Am I clear about how I get resources or what my benefits are or, you know, all of those things. Am I clear about how stable my job is or what the company's future looks like? All of those things are things that when I don't know, um, when there's uncertainty there, that uncertainty leads to disengagement. And it's always been this way. And the reason that is, is because our brains are hardwired to respond to uncertainty um, sort of as if, you know, we're biologically programmed to respond to, you know, a lack of, a lack of clarity about something or that uncertainty uh, by in kind of the way that we do to any unknown stimulus. So like if I'm uncertain about how my manager thinks about me or how I'm doing at work or where the organization is going, if I'm uncertain, I fill in the details. We always do this. So, I, you know, example I always offer is, you know, if, if you get a call, if you're a parent and you get a call from the principal at your kid's school saying, you know, and you get a voicemail saying, hey, give me a call back about your kid right away. You don't immediately assume, if he doesn't tell you or she doesn't tell you what it's about, you don't assume they're getting an award. You assume that they're in trouble or something bad's happened or they're sick, right? I mean, it's, our brain goes negative. And so uncertainty creates an opportunity 
to for us to fill in the blanks. And we fill in the blanks, we write a worst case scenario. That's where the amygdala kicks in. Our amygdala is designed to keep us safe. And so when we see uncertain stimuli, we assume it's danger. And then that causes this fear response. So uncertainty is really a big deal. Well, if you look at the world around us, like we lit, we're awash in uncertainty. And so that is fundamentally the biggest challenge right now that we have. People are working differently in new places. They're dealing with the uncertainty of the virus, uncertainty of safety, uncertainty of what's going on with their kids' school. They're awash in uncertainty. And so if we don't effectively help them address that, if we don't find ways to create clarity for or greater clarity for employees around some of these issues, uh, you're at great risk of disengagement creeping up. Yeah, if we don't have the whole story, we'll we'll make up the story. You you're right. That's uh, I read a book once called Crucial Conversations, and 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 it, it was a, it was a lot about that about how we will definitely tell ourselves we'll, we'll tell ourselves stories in our head, and lots of times it will work against us, and we'll go to the negative and. So, so really, Jason, what you're saying is, you know, you, you've, <laughs> you've got to be fully transparent and, and get all the facts and information about what's going on with the business to your, to your employees, right? Don't, don't assume that they can't handle it. Assume that they need that information. They need the facts. They need the whole story. The more you give them, the less uncertainty, the less threatened they're going to feel, and and the more they'll be able to to engage and, and and work to their potential, right? Yeah, that's that's part of it for sure. I mean, you've got to be like the more we can show them the the bigger picture, the more we can be transparent, the more we can, you know, give them access to what information they need to feel a greater sense of clarity to remove some of that uncertainty. That's part of it. The other part is that we need to be in constant conversation with our employees. We need to be asking them questions. How are you? What are you worried about? What are you thinking about? What do you need? What questions do you have? Because th that's one of, the, one of the places where we fall down in corporate communication when we, when we hear what we need to communicate for more, our instinct is, and I do the same thing, is to say, let's push. We need to push more information out. We need to make more information available. And that's part of it. But the other bigger part of it is like, we need to go ask more questions. We need to go find out what employees really want to know or need to know. And then let's help them find that. Let's find out where their specific uncertainty is and help them, um, you know, help close that gap to the extent we can. And sometimes we don't know, but it's much better to at least be out in a conversation with them saying, we just don't know what's coming next. But as soon as we do, you will be amongst the first people to know. Hey, what, what's on your mind, right? Big, big, good, good question to ask our employees. What's on your mind? So we shouldn't assume. No, never. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to. They're right there. We just have to ask. <laughs> what a novel idea. Well, let's just ask. Yeah. Well, then you get into the question about, well, how, how do you measure employee? How does, how does an employer measure employee engagement? You know, and, and maybe it's a two-part question. How do you do that? in a normal environment and then and then how do you do it when uh those people on the so-called front lines are sometimes working remotely maybe they're furloughed and and still not back on the job like um how, how do you measure engagement today well i think there's when you talk about measuring engagement i think there's a tendency for us to um maybe overcomplicate at times i think there's 
And I think there's a differentiation between measuring and monitoring or, um, you know, a lot of times when we talk about measure, we get real formal, right? And we go, we think about surveys and I think surveys are really powerful. And in fact, this right now, a lot of people have been worried about, you know, I hear this um, HR leaders at organizations that are worried about asking surveys right now because of all the chaos, because of all the, you know, the stuff that's going on, like when is the right time to survey? And I would say in the middle of the chaos is the right, is the best time to survey because that's when people need to, you need to hear from your people the most. And so it's always a good time to survey and check in. I think the other thing to think about though is like, is really to your point is more monitoring monitoring engagement, right? We, we want to pulse on what's going on. You know, how do we know kind of where they're at? And I think there's some things you can pay attention to. You know, if you're offering your employees any sort of, you know, opportunity to, whether it's provide, provide feedback or to engage with you in any way as an organization, it maybe it's, um, you know, maybe you're, you're hosting an update, you know, like meeting or you're sending out, you're having some kind of communication mechanisms that you're sending things out. You're offering a town hall or an update. Are people engaging with that? Are people clicking into it? Are people consuming what you're putting out there? Are they interacting with it? Do they show up? Um, is, your, is your absenteeism or, um, going up and down? If you're starting to see absenteeism creep up, that's some. That's a warning bell, right? That should alarm bell should be going off. So I think sometimes we overcomplicate the idea of, you know, tracking engagement. It's like, well, watch some of the obvious things. Like it's sort of re reverse engineering. Why do we do engagement surveys? Sometimes we do engagement surveys. The way we justify measuring engagement is that well, it reduces turnover and it reduces absenteeism. Well. You can also look at it the other way around. Like when absenteeism starts to move, you should be paying attention. When productivity starts to decline, that might be an indicator that your engagement is sliding. And so you probably should get serious about some of the key drivers of engagement. And so um, sometimes it's just watching the, you know, watching the dials that you watch that tell you like overall, does it feel like our employee population is healthy? And I mean, healthy in the sense of like, um, is it, are things working well? Are things working the way we expect it? And the instant it starts to turn the wrong direction, you know, dig in, go ask some questions, do some focus groups, go talk to people. Um, you'll quickly find out where things are at or if there's real problems, um, they'll help you zero in on where you need to focus. You mentioned a couple, I guess what I would say are, are, are warning signs uh, that, that jumped out at me. I mean, is it true then, Jason, that if there's an employee who's, who's, you know, kind of blowing off meetings or putting in for a lot of PTO or, you know, just kind of a lot of, un, you know, uh, unplanned absences and stuff like that, 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 that's a warning sign that they're disengaging and, they're, and that they're not properly engaged. Is that right? Yeah, I would say something's going on. I mean, yeah. th those are all indicators that like something's going on with that employee. Mm. And as a good manager, if you're paying attention, like I, what, I mean, it's a pretty simple thing to reach out to them and just say, Hey, I want to, you know, can we catch up for a few minutes and just say, Hey, here's what I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Are you okay? right? Is something going on? What's happening? Are you okay? Is there something going on in your life that I can help you with or that's getting in the way? Is there something you need for me? Like what, you know, tell me what's going on. Just do a, do a check-in 
with them because it could be disengagement. It could be, I mean, these days in the, in the world we live in today, it also could be, there could be some well-being issues popping up or there could be some, you know, I mean, if your kids are at home and you're trying to do the school there, you might be burning out. You know, there's all sorts of things that could be going on that would impact engagement for sure. So yeah, just, you know, when you see those things, go check in. Yeah. I mean, is that kind of a new thing? It's relatively new in the world of business, this sort of being emotionally tuned in to your employees. I hope not. I mean, there's more talk about it now. Um, But I think, you know, the best, the best managers throughout time, I think were, have been people who just cared about people and uh, were paying attention because they understood that the reality is if you're, if your life is a dumpster fire, you're not going to show up to work and be your best. Or if there's, if, you know, if things are on fire in your personal life or things are on fire, you know, in different parts of your professional life, you, you just can't show up and be your best. And so as a manager, if you're paying attention, you'll see indications of this. And then you just have to slow down long enough to, to have a conversation. I don't think it's new so much as that I were starting the, one of the gifts of this terrible pandemic is that it's forcing us into more human more human to human kind of interaction. I think it's bringing and forcing more intimacy and more empathy into the manager employee relationship out of necessity. Because Mm -hmm. if I'm not having a conversation with you about what's going on at home, if I don't know what you're dealing with at home and helping you figure that out, chances are the wheels are going to come off at some point. If you're trying to juggle juggle dealing with kids school and supporting them all day long and then i'm piling on top of you a bunch of you know work that some of it you know and not helping you prioritize what needs to be done or helping you figure out how to do that things are going to come apart at some point something's got to give and it will be the employee who breaks down and if we're not really paying attention on how to support them through that well it sounds like you're giving permission to a to a manager or a leader to to not just you know eliminate uncertainty and drive more clarity around things that are happening at work and, and around the business, but also to kind of to, to help folks you know reduce uncertainty and get more clarity in their in their personal lives. Or am I am I misreading you on that? I think, no, I think I think that it was always a good idea. I have preached for years that it's always a good idea to be dialed into your employees' lives broadly, mm. right? Because, you know, even, even if the sense, so like, depending on the context of where you work and who you manage and how you manage, but, you know, if I've even sometimes people do jobs because they happen to be good at it, but they don't have a lot of passion for it, but they just do this job because they need to make money. Um, in order to enable them to do whatever it is that they really love to do, which is what they do when they're not at work. Now, if I understand what that thing is, and then I can help them understand, or I can help make the, the vehicle of work something that carries them further towards the thing that they really care about or passionate about, now it has some purpose for them, and then I can elevate their performance that way. And so could be about time with their kids, could be about bowling the perfect game. I don't really care what it is, but I need to know what those things are so that I can help them accomplish the things that matter most to them. Because if I can do that as their manager and figure out how to make their work a vehicle for that, even if they aren't ever going to be super passionate about the work or the job that they're doing right now, 
it, it creates a deeper sense of connection and purpose and meaning for them. And so I, it's always been important, but man, you, right now in the world we live in, if you don't, if you don't pay attention, I, especially for, I mean, it doesn't really matter the context where the people, we talk a lot about work from home and clearly, you know, when their home is their office and in that office is children and school responsibilities and the spouse and all this other complexity. And we might be trying to share a room as an office. And if I'm not going to help them manage that and they don't know how to do it, then their performance is going to suffer. That means my performance is going to suffer. The organization's going to suffer. So it is my job to help them figure that out. Like that is just the reality of the world we live in. If I have frontline employees that are out, you know, on that front line in retail or healthcare, whatever it is, and they've got to deal with safety and they've got to deal with people that are, you know, people that are panicked and burned out and on the edge. Um, and we're not equipping and understanding, you know, what they're dealing with and how that's going home and helping them manage that, you know, be, being whole and healthy and how to get through that and find resilience. If I don't, if I don't get involved in that, guess what? Again, their work's going to suffer. My performance is going to suffer. The organization's going to suffer. So we, what choice do we have? I think right now we're learning how to do it. We're being forced to learn how to do it. And I hope that that becomes a habit that sticks with us for the next several decades of work, because I think it's a, a wonderful thing that's being forced upon us right now. And I hope we come out of it with some new skills. Yeah, the more positives that, that can come out of this, uh, the better for sure. Uh, to, to summarize, is you know, managers, great managers genuinely care. They don't just pretend to care, but genuinely care about their employees, not, not just as it relates to the work they do for the organization, but as people, right? Yeah, and so my cynical side says, it's best if great managers, you're right, great managers genuinely care. Good managers can care, you know, sometimes they care because it's a means to an end. Like, I'm going to care about you and care about all this stuff and help you figure this stuff out because if I don't, you can't perform. And if you can't perform, I can't be successful. And so I got, I'm in it with you. Like, our, our success is tied together. So I got to help you figure this out. One is better than the other. I would like it to come from your gut, right? And be perfectly genuine. I think what happens is sometimes, even if you're just the good manager and you're doing it because you need to do it, eventually you figure out like, wow, you know what? If I help people be more full and whole in their lives and feel more successful in their lives, not only at work, but beyond, they do better at work. I feel better about myself. My work gets a lot more meaningful. Everything gets more fun. So eventually it plays out that way, but you're right. If you, if you, if you do genuinely care about people and then you'll do the hard work to, to help them succeed, um, then this gets, this gets to be a lot of fun. All right, Jason, let's switch gears for a minute. You, you've got a book called Unlocking High Performance. Uh, and in that book, you're talking about utilizing performance management to empower and engage employees. So what's the, and we want people to buy the book and read the book, so I don't want you to give it all away, but what's kind of the key takeaway here for, for organizations? Wow, to, to boil it down, well, you know what I'll do? I'll pick one of my favorite ideas that I think is a really powerful one that connects back to the conversation we've been having. One of the, the book basically, um, the underlying idea or concept that I, that I argue in the book is that when you really look at what we know about work and how employees experience work, that they experience work 
more like a relationship than anything else. Uh, we treat work like a contract, employers do, but employees experience it like a relationship. And so the goal is to design a work experience that feels more like a relationship to employees. So that's the underlying idea. And we can talk more about that. But in that, so what I do is I talk about if we're reinventing performance management, it's, it's really about creating an experience of work that feels like, an, like a, a healthy relationship for the employee. And I talk about three different sort of sets of processes. There's planning, cultivation, and accountability. The, the one that I love the most that I think has is probably um, in terms of relevance right now is cultivation. And in short, what I, I came to this word cultivation because what I realized somewhere along the way is that I grew up on a, a small farm outside of a small town in uh, Northwest Iowa. And I watched farming growing up and farmers and how they went about doing what they did. And it occurred to me at some point that you know, farmers are in the same kind of business that we are in organizations. They're in the, the, the maximization of the performance of other living things. And what farmers do, they, they do basically a couple of very simple things, but the main thing they do, two things that are sort of central to a cultivation mindset. One is that a farmer absolutely trusts that you know, whatever crop they're planting, that growth and performance is hardwired into the nature of that thing. Um, so that corn plant or whatever, hard, growth and performance is hardwired into it. They don't have to do anything to force that to happen. That's just natural. And then the other, so then what they do is they spend their time thinking about how can I create an optimal environment for growth and performance? And then what, what, do, what can I do to remove obstacles that get in the way? And that really was an aha moment for me when I thought about organizations is what if we flipped how we thought about performance and talent cultivation within organizations over and we have approached it the way that farmers did. What if we realized and acknowledged, and I think this is absolutely true, that humans are hardwired for growth and performance. It's our default setting. If you think about how we learn to speak as children, we just absorb it by being around other people who speak. It's, it's like remarkable. Our capacity for learning and growth and performance is remarkable. And so our role really as managers, as organizations, is to cultivate an environment that is optimal for growth and performance and to get obstacles out of the way. And if we do those two things, the employees will take care of the rest. They, I mean, people will just, people want to perform and they will naturally perform if we set the right conditions and get obstacles out of their way. Great. And I think it's also, not everybody would have that thought that it's that we're we all innately want to we have a growth a lean toward growth and 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 high performance but it makes sense why would we not want to to do well i've never i mean that's the thing i always jokingly say but i think in my life i've never met anyone who i would say based on having that i've had any sort of interaction with for any period of time that I think that they wake up in the morning and think, gosh, I hope I fail today. Like, I hope <laughs> I really fall short of everyone's expectations and disappoint the people around me. Like, that's not like people when given the option, when given the opportunity to succeed, we will always choose that over the alternative. Nobody likes to fail. 
but the reality is there's a lot of things. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a lot more complex. This sounds very simple when we're sitting here talking about it. Mm-hmm. It's obviously a lot more complex than that because we can get mindsets that get in our way that are born out of a lot of things and we have to undo those mindsets. But, the, but I believe, and I've not, I've not seen any evidence to the contrary that we aren't, our default setting is performance. So then my challenge back to managers is always as a manager, as a leader, if your people aren't performing, then there's something that either you're doing or that they don't have that they need that is interfering with that. The employee isn't broken. Yeah, there's something in the environment or, or, the, or, the, or the conditions that, that, that exist in the organization that are preventing them from, from doing it. Right. So it's like, yeah. figure that out. Instead of trying to fix the broken employee, figure out what's going on that's preventing them from manifesting what they are naturally hardwired to do. I think it's a, a, a great mindset and a really different way to look at it, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And it's a, it's a big shift. And you, you drew a parallel before to, uh, you know, to, to kind of parenting uh, and, you know, to managing and parenting and, I guess, you know, this, this whole idea of cultivating, cultivating an environment for, for growth and performance would be true for parents too. Like if uh, I don't want to go too far off track, I just make that observation. Absolutely. It's absolutely true. And it's hard. It's also hard there because you you want to over-engineer, we want to control, we want to do all these things. And the reality is what kids need most is opportunity, they need the right environment, and they need obstacles out of their way, and they will do most of the work. We think we're the ones in charge of their growth and development, but the reality is um, they'll do all of that. They're hardwired to do it if we just get everything, kind of clear things out of the way and make sure they have what they need. I think the, I think the last of those three, uh, those three, it was, pl- it was planning, cultivation, and accountability was the third. Is that right, Jason? That's right. All right, so that's great because I, I think the one thing I wanted to to hit upon before we wrap up is feedback. Mm. And in my mind, kind of feedback and, and accountability go hand in hand. And this is something that our office, One Digital in Connecticut, is actively working on is creating this feedback culture or feed forward culture. You know, talk about that. How does that play into employee engagement? That's a, a big and a uh, great question. I'll try to tackle here in a in a in a short way. So there's a few ways I would say that it it contributes to employee engagement. I think one is back to this idea of reducing uncertainty. Is that feedback generally right? If feedback is essentially information that I get about my performance, which is what feedback by by definition is, is feedback is information that comes about my performance. That, that's helpful in me in creating greater clarity about my job and how I'm doing and, you know, all of that. So it's important in that sense. Where feedback is a problem, I think, to employee engagement is that most of what we've been trained to do around feedback is criticism. It's criticism of past performance. And the problem with that is that we can't do anything to change past performance. It's already happened. So when, when you criticize past performance, I can't do anything to change it. It is only critical, triggers a defensive response, which then interferes with my ability to hear what's being said and convert it into learning, which is why I commend you on the feed forward approach 
um, or adapting and, and sort of, you know, or your organization moving down that path. And that's what I, that's what I advise and teach and coach as well is that feed forward very simply is about moving from that critical piece that if you want to provide that information about performance in a way that both engages people and improves performance, you orient that information you're providing towards future performance in the way that a sports coach does. So, I, you know, I always talk about when I've gotten, I got golf lessons from a guy years ago who it sort of astonished me that his approach, because he didn't have, there was no intake. I just, I showed up and he's like, okay, just go up and hit some balls. So I went up and I hit some balls and he watched and then he'd say, all right, now on next time, try this. And he would give me some sort of piece of instruction to try. And he's like, try that. And then I would do it. And, and, you know, whatever, I get whatever result. And he's like, okay, did you see how that felt this way or see what happened there when you did that? He's like, now try this. And he would give me another thing. But the interesting thing was like, he never, he didn't even, he didn't never ask me about my past performance. He didn't ask me about how good a golfer I was. He didn't criticize any of my swing. He didn't do anything. He just looked and watched what I was doing. And I was a hot mess when I showed up. I can tell you that. And then he just started offering me some suggestions right? He, he could have told me what was screwed up about my swing, but he didn't. He just started giving me some nudges that helped me make a better swing the next time, right? He was oriented towards improving my next effort, my next, my next swing. And that's what, that's what positive feedback, that's what engaging feedback looks like, is that it's not critical. It doesn't make me feel defensive. It, it empowers me to change my performance the next time I take a swing. And that's really how it should feel and look. So instead of, hey, you know, here's what didn't go, here's where we fell flat on this project, instead of that, pointing out what went wrong, does that mean uh, reshaping the question to say something like, well, how do we make this work better next time? I, no, that's, that's right. There's two power moves I recommend around this. I mean, there's simple takeaways that anybody can start with. Number one is if you want to provide feedback to someone or um, is that you, you create permission first. So the first thing I would do, even with my direct reports, is I'd say, hey, um, I have a few, you know, I took down a couple of notes during your presentation this morning, you know, about some things that maybe you could do next presentation, you know, that might be valuable to you. Would you like to hear them? So I ask them for permission. They give me permission. So that for, that's the first thing, that permission opens them up to receive it less defensively. Um, in, in a project team like what you described, I would have a mechanism built in that at the end of the project, no matter what, we're going to have a feedback. Um, just part of the process. So we all expect it. There's a permission there. So that's yeah. number one permission. The second is exactly what you said is that it's not, it's not about, let's talk about what, what we didn't do well or what should have been done differently. Let's talk about what we would do differently in the future. How could we on our next project, what could we have done that would have perhaps led to a, a more positive um, outcome on our next projects. What kinds of things should we consider doing before we even kick them off? How could we work better in the future? It's those kinds of, and it's, it's the same conversation. It's just oriented towards future performance instead of critical of, of past. Yeah. You know, don't, don't dwell on the past. It's a, uh, it's a, you know, a tried and true message. Doesn't really get you anywhere. No, just gets you yeah. defensive and angry and feeling bitter. So yeah. those are all things to avoid if you want an engaging workplace. 
Well, uh, yeah, but Jason, I, I think that there was a lot of, lot of great, great stuff in there packed into, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. Uh, and and um, so I guess we'll wrap, we'll wrap it up there. But before you go, we always have a few hot questions we like to ask our guests, uh, if you'd be willing. Fire away. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Favorite band? Wow, that's a tough one. Uh, Van Halen. Oh, I love that answer. You and I are on the same page. Uh, if you had one superpower, what would it be? Uh, to be able to like um, telepathically put love inside of another person to make them feel loved sort of without them, without having to even interact with them. If you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be doing? I don't know if this is, if I'm even capable of that, but it, it would be uh, being a, like a blue professional blues harmonica player. I don't have that talent, but I would love to be doing that. And lastly, lastly, Jason, our theme this year at One Digital is being bold. So what does being bold mean to you? You know, dreaming big dreams and then taking steps in that direction. Excellent. Jason Lordson, thanks so much for joining us today. I think it was a great chat. Uh, everyone, to learn more about how Jason's helping companies across the country, just check out his latest book, Unlocking High Performance. And, uh, and just also visit his website. It's uh, jasonlordson.com. Um, if you're looking to hear more on this topic, Jason recently sat down with our own Sarah Tarka, who's our, our local well, well-being strategy consultant. Um, and, and they had a conversation um, uh, in our last Engage chat on this uh, this topic of empowering employees in a changing environment. So check that out as well. Uh, the link is in the description of this podcast, so, so that's another great resource for you. As always, everyone, thank you for tuning in. This has been yet another episode of Friends with Employment.